Hello, everybody. Welcome on the Lights On Data Show. Today, we're going to talk about best practices in data storytelling, while, of course, being datacated. <laughs> Can I introduce our guest now? Please, please. So if you don't know who our guest is, or if you don't know our guest, that means that you don't have LinkedIn which I think it's a very low probability. <laughs> She's a LinkedIn top voice. She organizes one of the most popular conferences in a data field. She invented the word as well and patented it, which I think is genius. She seems to be on fire. She wakes up every day at five in the morning. She has two daughters. She runs many kilometers daily. And she somehow, I don't know how, that's uh, what we're going to find out today. She's always calm and smiling. So let's find out her secrets. Everyone, please welcome Kate Strachny. Hello. <laughs> hello. Thank you so much for, for having me on the show. Very excited to be here. And yes, I think I sometimes am on fire and I, I've been actually waking up even earlier these days around 3 or 4 a.m. Um, but <laughs> that, thank you for having me on the show and before we get started with anything I do want to let you know that data is not scary so those <laughs> thank you guys for the shirt I love this shirt from lights on data so yes let's let's do this the little That's red awesome. monster it looks very good on you Kate yeah and matches your nails your fingernails which is great yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, first we we have to mention. Please use the hashtag datacated throw the show, because if you do, you'll enter a chance to win a datacated storytelling course. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. So we're gonna keep reminding people as they're coming in to use hashtag datacated. Just put in the comments, and you'll be entered to win the course. Towards the end, we'll have the draw. Amazing. That's a real treat. Okay, so Kate, um, I want to know some of your secrets. So you're very motivated, and I wanted to ask you what drives you. What are your biggest drivers in life? Um, I would say it, independence. I think I always wanted to do my own thing. The ability to work on my own schedule. Um, I love work a lot. People might say I work too much, uh, especially if you live with me. You're probably like, oh god, you're on your laptop at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> want to sleep in. That's something probably my husband would say, but I think what, what drives me the most is the willingness and the, the ability to just do things on my own terms. That's very interesting because you initially, I think you, you worked for a big company, one of the big four, if I'm not uh, mistaken. So I guess you were working a lot as well, but there was not that much freedom there. So I, I can... Totally get that. So out of all these many things that you do, what brings you the most joy? I actually think live streaming, even though it's one of the most <laughs> difficult things and there's so much uncertainty, I do think that live streaming and talking to an audience is one of my favorite um, jobs. I, I feel like I have probably 30 different roles that I have to play um, in running the companies. This is definitely the most fun, just chatting with people. I absolutely miss people. No thanks. Mm. Oh, good. Yeah. Been able to hang out in so long. So, yeah. One of the things that, you know, George always comes out of his office and says, Kate is doing this and Kate is doing that. And uh, to me, it seems that you're very creative and you come up with very many ideas. And, you know, everyone has their own way of coming up with ideas. Some people meditate, some people write things down. I need to lie down in order to, or to pace in the house to come up with ideas. How, what is your way of coming up with ideas? Or they just pop up? 
Um, I think sometimes they pop up uh, when I'm running or listening to an audiobook or something. I get ideas because I always notice myself. I stop running, bring out my phone and email myself, whatever that idea mm. was. And uh, a lot of other times I am sort of laying down. So we have that in common when, when I'm putting my kids to bed. Uh, a lot of times it takes about an hour of me sitting near their beds in the dark while they interrupt with, hey, tell us knock-knock jokes or do this or, or water. Where's my stuffed animal? Between all that, I kind of get some downtime to just sit and be in my own thoughts. Um, and I think that's where most of my ideas t- typically come from. And does that also apply to when you're you're creating data stories? You know, is it because there is a thought process, there is, there is a, you know, you're churning at times. Does it always help to maybe take a break, come back to how you should formulate that data story? Yeah, absolutely. I think for, for data storytelling, it's a little bit more intentional because a lot of times the story is being told to a specific audience. So it, it takes a, a little bit more thought and planning and intent when I'm doing data storytelling versus when I'm coming up with uh, new ideas or things to do with my business. Because it all starts with you know understanding your audience. What do they actually care about? What, what keeps them up at night? What questions do they want answered or how do they get their data? And, you know, happy to talk about all things data storytelling um, whenever whenever you're ready. <laughs> do, do you do you then have, a, you know, a go to best practice that you always apply in data stories and or and I don't want to put words in your mouth is, you know, understanding your audience, maybe the first step that you have to undertake. Yes, uh, clearly, it's, it's, it's always the first step uh, when I do training and tell people what data storytelling is. I, I first set the stage and let them know that telling stories with data is more impactful than simply telling stories without data or telling, showing people data without a story, right? So putting those two things together can have a much bigger impact. I think once you've identified kind of the context, what your audience cares about and all that good stuff, the next step typically for me is to think about what is the one thing that I want to share, right? What's that one story I want to tell? Because if you're telling people three different stories or asking for three different action items, chances are they're going to be confused. They're not going to take any action at all. So focusing in on that one specific thing that you want to share. Well, that's a that's a good. And I think that really applies to other things as well uh, when it comes to delivering that message that needs to have an action item based on it. Yeah, I mean, even in trainings and in workshops, that's the main idea, right? Tell them a maximum three things so that they can implement them right away after, you know, they listen to what you have to say or read your thing or watched your video. Yes, absolutely. So one main thing. (laughs) Yes. Do you have a favorite medium for telling your data story? Is it, does it have to be embedded in a visualization tool or... Um, you know, you you copy paste visuals and merge that with a written component, maybe in a Word document or on a web page. Or do you have a preference on that? Uh, it always depends on the exact situation. But lately, I've been fascinated with animated charts, right? So the Sankeys that show flow from one to another or geographic changes over time. So things that are animated and move. So a quick video maybe with some narration in the background has been really, really exciting for me because it's new, it's different, um, but it's not so new and different that people can't understand it, right? I think it's more of a guided tour where you have the narration. People don't have to read. They can listen to the story, but then they 
have those visuals to to go along and, and drill hold those points. Just just want to say hello uh, to our audience. Thank thank you everybody for joining us in, and uh, thanks for starting to uh, use the dedicated hashtag for a chance to win a dedicated storytelling course. Well, hello everybody, and mm-hmm. uh, glad that you're all here. And you know, please feel free to also ask questions because how many times do you get a chance to engage with Kate? Only every day, George. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is the right space for it. Absolutely. So, so back back to the data storytelling. Then, do you think then a data story should always have a visual? No, absolutely not. A lot of times, um, I the, the first thing I ask people before they start selecting their charts or graphs is, do you even need a chart or graph? Sometimes it's great to back up your data or your story with visuals, but oftentimes you could just have maybe a large number. For example, if your sales are down 18% and you were never supposed to go down below 10% or something, you could just write that as a statement and put that 18% in really big numbers. And that could have a bigger impact than even just showing a trend. So you definitely have to play, play it by, you know, specific to the situation and, and see if it's even necessary. Um, one of the things that I wonder is sometimes is how do I choose the best way of showing it? And I know this is the biggest question, but do you have any suggestions there? Yes. Can we, do we have 18 hours to speak right now? Or? <laughs> <laughs> so I actually have something called the dedicated chart selector guide, which is a 30 page PDF that's freely available mm. on the website. But essentially it starts out with a one page that shows you all the different charts um, and graphs that you can create. And it lets you know when to use each chart, right? So things like if you're looking at um, categories and how their values are changing, you can use a bar chart, or if you wanted to show trends over a period of time, you can use line graphs. Um, And again, it, it gives you some perspective as to when to use each chart. And then there's a page for each of those charts and graphs that provides some best practices. Now, You're asking a really good question. I actually had a session with um, a senior data person at a bank yesterday who who was struggling with the very same issue, right? She's creating data visualizations and she wants to spice it up. She wants something that will stand out. She wants something like, what's a better way to show this? And the the tricky part is if you're using Excel, Tableau, Quick, Power BI, Sysense, any Tipco, any of those software, they provide you with some defaults. And they're basically the system trying to take a guess at what is the best way, right? The system takes a good enough guess, but a lot of times it takes us as kind of the storytellers, the designers, the data analysts, data scientists. Um, It's on us to think about, is this the best way to show this data? And the way you kind of start to get a a handle on what's the best way is looking at other effective charts and graphs. So even Googling something like best way to show, you know, population growth over time. And you go to Google Images, that's literally how I learned years ago, is looking at all these really creative um, charts and graphs and just mm. trying to understand what, what are some really interesting ways mm-hmm. to do this and being inspired by that. Can you show the... You... Yeah, well, I, I, I want to follow up with a question for, from Marcos here that's asking for any recommended tools for visual animations. Yes. Um, you can, so I've used Tableau before to create animations, but I would highly recommend Flourish Studio. It's free to use. 
and they have the coolest visuals that you can create that are animated. Uh, definitely love them. Oh, I got to check that out. And I, I want to um, bring this to our audience attention that you have this dedicated visualization tools guide. And yes, it's not just on animations, but data visualizations in general. So I do encourage everyone to uh, go in and check it out. It's free to download. So uh, I'll put in the link in the comments afterwards, unless somebody from the audience can help me out and, and uh, comment that link to everybody. <laughs> yeah, I'll just make one quick point here. So I think this is the chart. It's the, yeah, this one has 20 different tools. I'm actually updating this to include five more tools. Wow. Like this weekend, if I have a chance, I will do it. It's been on my list for a while, but uh, I am expanding it. It'll be the same link, uh, but we'll have even more tools covered. And it really gives you a sense for anyone shopping around or thinking about which tools are effective. Um, you'll see Flourish is actually on there. It's mm -hmm. on yeah. the, towards the bottom of that first column. So it gives you an idea of how much are the tools, what can you actually do with them. Uh, really good for those just starting out in this space as well. That's amazing. That's awesome. Kate, do you have any uh, real life examples of really bad visualizations? I don't know, from your work or yes. somewhere from your past. <laughs> Can you give us an, it, is it possible to, to tell us a little bit about it? Yes. Uh, so two, two examples immediately come to mind. And I could probably dig them up, but I'll, I'll spare people the time of me trying to click and find stuff. One was a fairly recent event with, with COVID. Actually, there were there were some COVID numbers represented in a bar chart. Um, it was on the Florida news. It was probably a couple of months ago, and they were I think they were trying to push a specific message or agenda, or maybe this was an accident. Who knows, right? I don't have the details. But anyways, the chart was a picture of a regular bar chart that shows you weekly number of COVID cases, and as the numbers went up, the bar chart sizing went down, right? So. If you had more cases, you would expect a bigger bar, but you had a smaller bar. And even that was not very consistent because you would think maybe they flipped it somehow. It was not even consistent. So basically they had a random bar chart with random numbers on them. And it was very confusing. There was also some crazy background with colors on it and every bar was different color. It was a complete mess. I actually posted about this and recreated that chart to make it more effective. Um, but yeah, there are definitely ways that you can mislead your audience, unfortunately, with improper, uh, you know, use of visuals. There's one that I shared over at your conference when I presented there, um, and it was this 3D bar chart. It was something on, on banana imports, uh, exports, I've lots seen... of colors, and the banana wallpaper, which kind of was the, the cherry on the top of the cake. <gasps> Yeah, <laughs> it was just a lot of lot of stuff going on. They belong in the Hall of Fame of terrible visualizations, unfortunately. And again, might have not even been you know intentional. Maybe the people who were designing thought that they were doing a great job because that's that's one battle I think we have to kind of go through is showing people that simple is typically better because the more the more confusing and the more colorful you you make your visualization. It might be attention grabbing because clearly that grabbed your attention, George. It's probably like, oh, look, bananas, right? But what does it even mean? <laughs> so it all depends on the, the message you're trying to share. But I, I always think simple is always better. Absolutely. So then um, Christiane has a question on, do you still have the idea of a picture tells a thousand words? I've seen just pictures like the banana picture, I guess, uh -huh. and no text so people will listen to you. Is that right? 
So a picture tells a thousand words. I, I read another quote that a data visualization tells a million words or something like that because mm -hmm. it's a better picture. Um, I do think pictures and visuals are very powerful. There's definitely some uh, psychology and science behind humans being able to um, gather information quicker when visuals are used or retain information in their memory. So I do think images are very powerful. In terms of the statistics of you know how many words you can use to represent an image, I think it varies. I've definitely seen some simple images like you know abstract art where I have no words, so because <laughs> I have no idea what I'm looking at. <laughs> but I, then I still find there are people that are are not okay with just the image itself, and they require maybe some bullet point explanation or something to to have in there. Maybe at least when it comes to the action items of them, okay, well, tell me what I need to do based on the information that you're giving me type of a thing, right? So something in addition to that. Yeah, I think a clear title, a subtitle, and sometimes even annotations are very helpful, um, especially if you're working with an audience that prefers written text. Now they even have technology that you give them some data and they'll write a whole narrative for you. So that's that's been pretty interesting to observe. I was yeah, I was looking into that just just this past week, uh, thanks to you as well. And it sounds quite intriguing, and especially for some of the audience that we we are working with. I know they they seem to prefer that type of uh, message delivery. So yeah, that's very very interesting. Well, there's different type of learners, right? Some people need to read, some people uh, are visual learners, some people need to experiment things themselves. So the, the listening, I think, the listening, yeah. So I think the larger audience you cover of when it comes to learning styles, I think the better your message is going to land. Diana's surprising me because she's quite a listener too. So whenever she wants me to explain her thing, she kind of just sits here on the couch now looking at the screen, I, I'm a visual guy, so I need to look at the screen and see. And, uh, you know, she's just listening to me talk. And I'm like, how can you get that just by listening to me? I, I don't get it. Maybe I'm just lazy. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I know I know there's this other um, software that it, it's more for accessibility purposes, but they're basically describing graphs. Mm. It's usually line graphs and bar graphs in terms of sounds. So they have the different pitch rising and, and lowering depending on the value of that bar graph or the line chart. So I, you kind of hear what that, that line graph would look like. That's Yeah, that's actually very interesting. And I'll one-up you even more. There's a new company I just spoke to recently that creates stories from your data and creates little videos with audio. So it's uh, it doesn't even sound like a robot. It sounds like somebody is basically explaining the data to you. So you upload a file and then out comes this, these charts that you can see, but also it creates a short, maybe one or two minute video that says, well, you know, this category has been trending up and they'll just analyze the data for you. So data analysts, uh, watch out, it's coming. I think this is um, maybe also considered for people that are blind and maybe that have an affinity for, for data. It would yep. be so nice to be able to include them as well. Absolutely. So uh, we have a question here from Kevin. How do you tell your story concisely when you do not have an opportunity to narrate? Um, narrate, I'm assuming um, by actually speaking to people, right? Because uh, I would assume annotations could, could definitely help in that regard. 
Sometimes, uh, I see Kevin, uh, you mentioned bullet points. Those are also very effective if you have the three key takeaways. Like Diana said, number three is usually uh, good for a number of takeaways. Um, but yeah, annotations, and it depends on which software you're using. Sometimes you can have additional data points on hover. But I do believe that adding at least some text of what the main takeaway is, either in the title, the subtitle, or annotations, is really helpful because we try really hard to create visuals that tell that story, but sometimes it's left to interpretation of the viewer, right? Even if I tell you or show you a picture, uh, George, and then I show it to you, Diana, you might interpret it differently. Uh, you can you know, be attracted to a different color of the bar and remember that maybe while George, you're looking at something else. So sometimes telling your audience exactly what you want them to get out of it is is really good. It, mm -hmm. it, yeah, it, it goes a long way. Actually, telling them what you want them to take away. So, how do you feel? Uh, you know, I, I feel there's two trains of thoughts on this. That one is you want to, in a way, pigeonhole people into coming to the conclusion that you want to drive, which is your conclusion. Yes, based on data, of course. And the other one is you're kind of presenting more of a blank slate there and having each one of your audience members kind of make up their mind as they wish to. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think it, it varies based on the types of stories, right? Because a lot of times if we're telling stories in a presentation and we're trying to persuade our audience to take an action, we'll clearly say, here's the data, here's what you should focus on, look right here, you know, we'll make it really bright for them and we try to persuade them. In other times when we want them to come to their own conclusions, I think we have to be a bit more neutral in terms of how we position things, annotate, or even the use of color. We have to be very conscious of how we do that. But again, it's it's very case by case dependent on um, on our audience and the the, the, the item of discussion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Kate, how come that you are so in tune with everything that comes out? So I, I find it amazing. Um, and you're always a step before everyone of finding out these things. Um, wait, so specific, Dan. Which one? What are you talking about? For example, uh, the Flourish thing or the one with, uh, you know, the tool that gives you a video. And that's what I mean. Okay. So you seem like a, an encyclopedia about all these tools and everything that comes out. I think it's because I truly love the space, data visualization, data storytelling. For me, it's like Netflix and pizza for people, right? It's something I truly mm, sounds good. <laughs> it's something I can't get enough of. So um, I, I actively seek out conversations with these companies, and um, likewise, they also reach out to me if they have a cool new product that they want me to share, you know, with the dedicated community. So a lot of times, they reach out and say, "Hey, can I show you this cool new thing?" And even though I'm extremely busy most of the time, I typically say yes, because I, I want to learn about all the cool stuff in this space. Actually, well, the other cool thing I saw in, in data visualization was my last trip in Canada in, um, in the beginning of 2020, there was an event and it was all about immersive data visualization where you put on these big 3D goggles or I don't know how many dimensions and you're kind of standing inside a spot where you can almost touch this scattered plot. <laughs> Uh, really, really cool stuff. So I think it's 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 mainly comes down to to my excitement about the field and my willingness to learn. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I like fr having friends like you, Kate, because you do the research and then come out with the conclusions, which things are the best. And then I just use the ones that you recommend. <laughs> I have another friend like this and, you know, she she likes to do research on a, a lot of stuff. And then she just comes out with the with the conclusion. I said, perfect. You just saved me so many hours. of. Um, so, yeah. Research. So if you want to save some hours, thank you, Raymond, for posting this. Go to datakata.com slash chart guide. And uh, basically, Kate did all that research for you. You don't need to spend the hours to do so, and you just download the chart guide. Thank you. Thank you, Raymond. So and speaking of, of um, exactly. pizza pies, yeah. what yeah. do you think of the pie chart? The pie chart, it's so delicious. <laughs> um, so it definitely has some positive <laughs> The pie chart gets some negative um, feedback from, from, from several in the data audience. But then when you speak to the business, they're like, why don't we throw some pie chart on here? And when you ask them why, they're like, oh, we you know, just spice it up, mix it up. Let's see some new types of charts because they don't want the, the boring old bar chart or line graph. Um, and the reason I think pie charts get some hate is because a lot of times they're not used properly, right? We might use too many slices in the view and the colors kind of start to mesh together. It becomes messy. And the research shows that humans, and most of us are humans, have difficulty in deciphering the sizes of slices. And we are much better at telling apart different sizes of um, rectangles or squares. I actually uncovered a, a brand new chart yesterday during a training that I haven't used before called the waffle chart, which is a, a, a really nice um, alternative to, to that. But I, I tend to use tree maps um, instead of pie charts. But yeah, for pie charts, I'd say some best practices are you know, making sure that you don't use more than five slices. If you have more than five slices, it's probably best to use a, a tree map or a bar chart to, to show your um, visualization. And then the, the last thing I'll say here is make sure that the sizes of the slices go from greatest to smallest. So people know that, okay, this is the biggest slice. The next one is going to be the second biggest and so on. So they're not confused by, by that layout. Absolutely. You know, and I don't know why, and, and there's certain data visualization tools that kind of have this role embedded, but so many others that don't. And uh, in a way, I understand why you want to provide that freedom to the creator, but why not just, you know, have it as the default rule in there? It makes it so much easier. Yes. Absolutely. So we should have visualization classes in school. Do you agree? I think yes. so. Data visualizations. Yes. I yep. think it's, I mean, it's a must have skills. Yeah. For work. Even if you don't create them, you have to be able well, to. Well, I even think that as a citizen, actually, just as a human being, we, we, we encounter data visualization so much in our life, not just in our work life, but I mean, just looking at the news, we get influenced, right? By, by a newscast trying to prove a message. And I think it's good for us to identify a bad way of doing things and to make sure that we're not being misled in some of these news items. Well, how? Yeah. Okay, I have an opinion for that. Okay. So, but isn't it uh, doesn't a good uh, visualization visualization doesn't it not need explanations because it's very good? Yeah, but I think you, you just need to identify when a bad practice is being used. That's misleading. You know, it's still good. It, it still looks good, but it could be misleading once you're looking into the the details. One zero judge. No. For today. <laughs> but you know what surprises me is they actually um I, I was attending my daughter's school when she was three 
to do a career day, right? My husband and I went, we both work with data and our presentation was all about data visualization. And we were talking to three-year-olds. Okay, not sure how many three-year-olds you know, but I was surprised to see that they were all very proficient with data, even though they never learned the proper maybe names of okay, what X and Y axis and height and width of bar charts and stuff like that. When uh, when we did our little presentation about what we do all day and work with data, we also incorporated this and created a bar chart. We used Skittles, the candy, you know, the rainbow candy. And we each had the child pick one Skittles and they would hold it and then we would count them up and create a tally of the different colors, have them use crayons. And surprisingly, all of the three-year-olds knew how to build this bar chart. Some of them ate the Skittles before we got the tally. So we had to <laughs> Some of them had it melted in their quality. I know. It's not a great choice of candy, I guess, for that, um, for that explanation. They got to eat it after. I just told them. It's very hard to get three-year-olds to hold candy and not eat <laughs> But it was very, very eye-opening for me because I'm like, if three-year-olds get it, then everyone should technically understand it. And these are kids from, you know, um, they're, they're not special, especially smart kids. They're just all regular kids. Right. And somehow I think, um, I don't know if it's this new generation that's getting it, but somehow if it does apply to all generations as we grow older, we kind of tend to lose some of that. Um, so how do you ensure, how do you make sure that everybody is at the same level of understanding when they're looking at the same thing? Because maybe that's one of the first assumptions that we have. Everybody starts with the same playing field. So should we should we position our data story from um, maybe assuming that nobody really knows about this, so we need some a little bit of intro education on the topic first, and then introduce that data visualization piece and go into the data story or do we assume that our audience is i don't know just has that level of understanding that we would expect i absolutely love this question eric and i actually covered this in the dedicated storytelling course um this is referred to as the curse of knowledge a lot of times because as data storytellers or presenters in general we feel and this is just human human psychology, I guess we feel that what I'm saying, you should already know this, right? Because we think that our experience reflects those of others as well. And that's so difficult for especially instructors in, in any field to kind of go back to that time when you didn't know something. And although it's very, very difficult, I, I, I'm not even going to try to explain how we can change our own psyche, you know, our brain and rewire it to go back to the time when we didn't know something. But I think uh, if you're already, if you're conscious of that fact, you will already do a better job that's, than somebody who doesn't recognize that, oh, maybe I should take a different approach. So I think my answer here would be is instead of making assumptions, do your research because most of the time you know who your audience is going to be. That was step one of the data storytelling process, right? Assessing your audience and talking to them, getting a better sense of what they actually are aware of, what are their skill levels when it comes to interpreting charts and graphs? Um, how well do they understand data in general? So doing that research beforehand can definitely help you position the story in a much better way. You won't get 100% of the audience to be in exact, you know, in the exact same place where you think they are. But the, the more research you can do, the better off you'll be in, in positioning that story. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. So knowing your audience is key in, in this, because you don't want to um, sound disrespectful if you explain too much, if those yeah. people know already, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, this person is telling us <laughs> something like it's your kids. Yeah. And I, this, this reminds me uh, when, when I was in my yoga teacher training, the teacher told us, you know, imagine that you are behind a curtain and the person can't see you. So this is how you need to explain things to be so clear um, as if someone couldn't see you and they need to do just by the words that you're using. Wow. That's really interesting. And I yeah. didn't know that. So you're a yoga trainer now? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm among other things. So this is, yeah this is one of her hobbies <laughs> cool yeah. yeah um and as andrew was mentioning reiterating what he said that instead of making assumptions do your research and understand your audience such yeah. great advice for both uh, the data story telling sorry and uh, running a business absolutely andrew Thank absolutely you. And as Ruti here was saying, good visualizations can be like visual aid for your explanation for better understanding. Yeah. So, Kate, uh, let's talk a little bit about your course. So we, we talked about bits and pieces, and there's a wealth of information and of knowledge when it comes to data visualization, but, and you have a wealth of knowledge. So how were you able to structure everything in a course? And how did you, I don't know, choose the sequence and the, the information that you put in there? Yeah, thanks for, for asking that. Um, so the, the way I sequenced, sequenced the course was we start out with what is data storytelling? What is data visualization? Kind of getting people in from the, from the ground level and letting them know why it is important to tell stories with data, to really make them understand that it's more effective than just showing data or just telling stories. Then we go on to, you know, what is the data storytelling process? And we take a deep dive into every step, like identifying your audience as one of them or assessing what type of story are you telling? Is it to a small group? Is it a presentation? Is it one-on-one? -on -one? Because all of those different types of stories are going to be impacted, impacting your visualization different and how you tell that story. And then I do have a pretty extensive section on visual best practices there, because I do feel like it's important to take the, take the time and effort to really tweak the presentation and keep iterating it and getting feedback and making sure that you can actually go through that whole process. Oh, look, there it is. I, I thought that was my internet going again when things started moving. So thanks, George. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so we, we go through the components of an impactful data story so people can really understand what makes it impactful, memorable, we call it sticky. Um, and then here you'll see the, the visual best practices. So talking about how software doesn't matter as much, but it can help you. Uh, we talk through chart selection, uh, removing clutter, proper use of color, which could be a course on its own, which it will be eventually. And then we get into actually presenting your story. So kind of hands on, how do you actually present? How do you get feedback? Um, maybe use animation, like we alluded to in the beginning of our, of our discussion. And uh, again, the wrapping up with kind of like what are some examples of, of good stories out there that people can be inspired by? Well, your course will for sure be awesome, and it is awesome. Thank you so much. Who is this course for, uh, Kate? Is it just for people in the data field or for business analysts or others as well? Yeah, I think when I was creating the course, it was for a very specific target audience, and it was, it's basically the data analyst or data scientist who is very 
might be very good at the technical skills or even at the software skills, but is not sure how to take those skills and actually take a business problem and you know present a data story. Um, I think this data storytelling is considered a, a soft skill, kind of like communication. And it's, it's something that I think is difficult for the, the technical folks to really go ahead and practice with. So that, that's what I, that's the audience I had in mind. I, I do assume it could be useful for business analysts and others, um, but yeah, those are, those would be the audience. So uh, Christiane had uh, a comment here. I joined a course that had this acronym, which I'm trying to read, <laughs> K-N-W-Y-W-S, standing for know what you want to say. This will help um, telling the story. What do you think? Yes, that's, that's the, one of the first steps is that finding out that one thing that you want to say. So this is exactly it. Know what you want to say before you can draft your story. A lot of times we have the software available and the data and we start simply clicking around and designing stuff. And I always recommend that you take a step back and keep in mind, what is that one insight you want to share? What is that one message? And I definitely agree, Christiane, is uh, knowing what you want to say goes a very long way because that's going to drive your whole story. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to know what you want to say, I totally agree. Um, but what I think is also important is that, okay, it's important to, to say what the conclusion is of the data, but I think it's more important to come up with the action item. Um, right. So what, what's next after we found out this? And I, yeah. I don't know if the person analyzing the data it can do this but uh, I, I always think that you know the the action item is a little more even more important than the conclusion that we came to yeah. I, because I, I can look at my scale and say yes I uh, I am overweight but <laughs> but from I am overweight to I'm going to I don't know do something about my diet it, there's another step <laughs> Uh, that's a that's an interesting example because you clearly are not overweight. Um, so, yeah, I think the person who is designing the visualization might might or might not be the best person who comes up with that action item. But I would say the person who's telling the data story likely is the right person to come up with that action item. Because, for example, if you're presenting a story where you need to hire more staff, like let's say I'm presenting to my manager and I need to hire more staff because our call center can't handle the number of people calling us. Well, my presentation is going to show how, you know, we have this many people, we can only handle that many calls and, you know, we're clearly not keeping up. My recommendation on the bottom will probably be, or maybe even on top, we need more people and here's why, right? So that would be the action item I would expect to be taken is hire two more people so we can, you know, uh, go, go along the normal course of business. Right. It's a great example. So um, I do have many more questions, but I want to draw some attention to your upcoming conference because I think it's something that anybody should try and attend if you're in the data space or not. This is really a uh, dedicated conference that has a lot of industries. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, the conference is coming up so fast. That's taking up all of my free time these days. So the conference is hosted online. It is on May 18th and 19th, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern. 
Oh, there you go, George. You're so good at this. <laughs> or, or Dan, I'm not sure which one is you handling the screen. But oh, it's I was it's all him because I see his uh, eyes on the screen. So, so yes, this is um this is the registration page for the conference. Very very quick and easy to sign up. We are hosting it on LinkedIn Live. Um, also, you can find it on the dedicated YouTube channel. Um, here are some of the industries that we're covering. So we've got financial services, healthcare, and energy on day one. And then we've got retail, sports, and food and beverage on day two. And essentially the way it's structured is each industry uh, gets about an hour of airtime. And we have four speakers that will present on the challenges, opportunities, or trends that they're seeing that data plays a role in within their industry. So really, really excited uh, because I, I personally can't wait to hear from all of the speakers. It's it's a it's an industry event, so you won't hear too much about maybe data itself, but you'll hear about how data plays a role in, in actually making a business impact. Awesome. And from what I heard, there a lot of people are talking about it and they're even starting to teach it in schools. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yes, it, it's, it's getting out there. And I was really in awe in the um, you know type of advertising that you started to do. I was, I was able to sort of catch this photo let me see if it opens up here. Come on. Technic te technical glitches here. All right. Oh, there. Got to bring it on a different screen here. I do see it. Yeah, there it goes. Yeah. So, um, you know, banners are rolling. Not the whole uh, uh, banner here in view, but. Uh, $10 million to post that up. <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah. Quite a bit. You're not making much of a profit from uh, from this conference, Kate. No, it's with all this advertising, people are not walking around because of COVID, so it's wasted effort, you know. <laughs> and this is somebody from uh, Hong Kong that sent this. So there you go. Of course. And I was surprised about two more things, Kate. One is the commission of this particular art piece, and, and sorry, it's taking so long to open up here. There you go. Yes, that's um that's for sale if anybody's looking for <laughs> items. That woman is gonna buy it right now. That's a time. <laughs> got her money. Well, th those two people there, they're just uh, they saw it and they're just heading to register for the conference. <laughs> exactly. And uh, lastly, but not the least, of course, and I think this is from Australia or New Zealand in one of their uh, matches. Oh god. They were managing to do the wave here. <laughs> I could only catch the last part. It kind of, you know, went all in a oh flash, but very creative. Thank you so much. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's definitely coming up and every day we're finalizing more speakers and we actually have maybe another one or two sponsors that we're going to announce soon. So very very excited, but so still so much left to be done on this event. That's that's awesome. Uh, you're, let's, you're, you have a lot of experience now with conferences. Absolutely, it just comes easy to sure. know. <laughs> so let's uh, let's pick up a couple more questions. Um, first, Andrew is mentioning that there are great speakers at the dedicated conference, and yes, there are always great speakers. And uh, Grace, I think she enjoyed the uh, the marketing that you do, Kate. So uh, let's pick up a couple more questions, and then uh, let's do the draw because we're we're coming to an end here very soon. Mm -hmm. So um, let's see, Matthew. Matthew had a question here on 
Is data storytelling process a single step-by-step -step process or an iterative one? Is it something that you need to keep on refreshing, revising? Yes, so I, I, the process I have in mind is a step-by-step -step process, but I think within each step, there are various steps. And as you go through that process, it is sort of a cycle where you, you know, sometimes gather feedback from your audience upon telling that story. You might have to retell a story a different way. And a lot of times when you've written your story or you've created it, testing it out with a few key members of your audience before maybe going for the full presentation is key. And then in that case, again, it's going to be iterative one. I think everything with data has to be iterative because things are changing and data keeps changing. So you might even have to change the story as the, the time comes up for you to tell that story because the data might actually impact your, your key message. So, so Matthew, definitely iterative. Well, um, Katia here is, is uh, thanking you for the, this great information. Shruti has a follow-up. Do you think that after being experienced in storytelling that the process becomes intuitive? Do you think it's a good idea to be intuitive or stick with a particular process? Yeah, I think that goes back to maybe no, uh, that curse of knowledge because you feel like you know everything and you kind of just start either visualizing or telling your data story. I do recommend people to go back to the basics sometimes and review some of those best practices and processes. So I, yeah, I'm going to stick with be intuitive when, when you really know the data, but still go back to that particular process to make sure that you're not missing anything. Great advice. Yeah. And I'm not sure if this is Kevin, but uh, trust your gut. So what you're, where you're mentioning there too, uh, Kate. Yeah. And Naomi has a question on uh, who did you initially learn from just about data storytelling? Was it a particular author or, or individual? Well, I guess author and ind individual, they're the <laughs> same thing, but an author is an individual. <laughs> I love how much fun you guys have on this show. <laughs> yeah, so it all started out with actually one book from... Um, Cole Nussbaum or Naflik. She wrote the data storytelling book or telling stories with data and, or storytelling with data. Why do I keep getting this wrong? But anyways, I read several books, Edward Tufte's books, uh, Alberto Cairo. I learned from Miko Young, Kirk Bourne. There's so many people I learned from, even reading articles. But I think the way I truly learned how to tell stories with data and visualize data is when I had a need for myself to tell that data story or create a mm -hmm. dashboard and actually doing it hands-on while Googling things along the way. Like, like I mentioned, what's the best way to show maybe, you know, budget data and then looking at other people's examples, looking at maybe 20 or 30 different examples, and then using that as inspiration to create something that's my own and, and unique. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. So I think we learn a lot of things theoretically uh, in school and in the courses. And then when we have to switch to practice, it's a little bit harder to do. So um, I, I teach, among other things, I teach public speaking and I, I insist on people having a speech in mind to work on and to apply what we learn uh, and apply all these tools because you can know them on a the theoretical level, but unless you you use them right away, I find that you won't integrate them properly. So I, I would say, and Kate, please correct me if I'm wrong, when you do a course or when you learn about, or when you read about data, to have a data set with you or something in mind and to apply the things that you learn. Yes, absolutely. And that's something I teach in my, 
I do have other courses. So I have this series of data to dashboard courses that we're, oh, yeah. we have some available and we're building some out. Basically it takes you from never having built a dashboard with a specific tool to building a dashboard. But then at the end, you get an optional project with a different data set that allows you to apply everything you just learned on the new data set and basically try to see if you've mastered those skills. And if not, you know, start the course over or go back to where, where you're lost and uh, rewatch some of those sections. And that's one of the great things about your course is that you can just retake it as many times as you want. And uh, if you think you need a refresh, you can come back a year later even and just go through the lessons that you uh, you need a refresher on. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So uh, let's, let's go on with the draw then. Um, don't forget if you have your last chance here to use the hashtag dedicated to win the dedicated storytelling course that we went over. And now that we have all these entries, let me just share my screen here. And this is a tool that Kate researched again, and she taught yeah, me no this here. <laughs> a couple of days ago and how to use it. So it was so much fun when I used it um, because um, it's, it's fun for giveaways. Yeah. <laughs> all right. There you go. Who's it going to be? <clears throat> I love Drum the anticipation. Out. I know, I love it. No, it's getting slower. Whoa! Congratulations! All right, let me um, let me make sure I don't forget that you are the winner. <laughs> there you go. Bam. Perfect. And and um, we'll follow up with you, or I guess Kate will follow up with you as to how you can claim your your course. And Kate, I'll follow up with the, the details if oh. you like. <laughs> I, I have a, my last question for today, a heavy question. Can I ask it? <laughs> Kate, yes. what is your legacy? What would you like to leave behind? Um, my legacy, I think caring about the community, the data community, and um, <clears throat> making sure that I make a positive impact on the world. So I think that would be the overall legacy. I have never, I've not really thought too much about it. I think I'm never going away. So <laughs> that would, uh, that would probably be it. <clears throat> That's a great legacy to have. And of course you can't forget about the dedicated legacy. Dedicated. There you go. <clears throat> exactly. Dedicated. I think somebody was inquiring about how they could get that pillow. Uh, and I, I believe Raymond replied. But if not, we'll follow up with, with the link towards your store. Thank There's you. a lot of dedicated, cool merchandise there. Mm-hmm. All right, Kate, any any parting words? Well, where, where can they register for the conference? Uh, yes, absolutely. So dedicated.com slash conference, or just go to dedicated.com. You can sign up for the conference. Always a pleasure to chat with you both. Um, I always have I always have so much fun, and I feed off your <laughs> energy because you clearly have so much fun on this show, so it's always a pleasure. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> yeah, it's so good to have you here, Kate. Thank you. All right, everybody. Well, have a great weekend ahead and stay dedicated. Stay dedicated. Woo! And data is not scary. Yay. It's not. <laughs> so always put the lights on data. Ooh. All right, everybody. Bye. Have a great bye, one. Everyone. Thank bye. you for being here. Bye.